What an honor to be among such great people, huh? Got a lot of really amazing people, and that's being demonstrated over and over again as we're in a time of transition. Wednesday night was mind-blowing, wasn't it? I mean, I, I kept turning to people and saying, do people not understand that we're calling a fast? And 250 people are showing up with their kids on a Wednesday night. Kept saying, okay, what's the hidden, are there door prizes or something? And the door prizes, you don't get to eat for the next week. Yay, more people. So we're in a series on prayer. And I want to make just a few brief comments before we look in particular at prayer and fasting. We're in this season of prayer. And I just want to say how encouraged I am and how hopeful our leadership team is. We've been talking about what the Lord is saying, what the Lord is doing. And you know what's exciting about vision? You don't have to cook anything up. You don't have to devise anything. You sit back and watch what the Lord is doing in the church, and then you name it. That's called vision. So, Lord, what are you doing among us? And we want to cooperate with you. And so that's what we're in the process of doing. And when you've got that perspective, everything changes. Because, again, the Lord is building his church, and nothing can impede that. And, and what we're talking about is keeping things primary, right? What, what should be the focal point, not the secondary. And so I just want to remind us that we're not a fasting and praying church. That's not our identity. We're not a revival church. We're not a complementarian or egalitarian church. We're not a justice or missions church. While we may address and incorporate many of these things, and they are important, aren't they? These are all important things. We are a church focused on the main and the plain. And so the things that God's doing among us, and we're going to be articulating that more and more clearly as the elders and the leadership team comes together, but things like worship and spiritual formation working with Jesus in his mission, proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God, that's what we're about, right? And so we keep our eyes focused on what is primary. Um, think about Jesus. He simplified it. He knew that simplicity is powerful. And so the two things he really focused on, the great commandment and the great commission, love God and love people and make disciples. And so really these are the kinds of banners that we want to fly under, right? Wallace and I were talking about this on Friday, that how important a biblical and theological foundation is for our church, right? As the tidal wave of God's love and glory comes, we go deeper into the scriptures. We go deeper into doctrine. You don't lose it at all. That's actually misleading. So we are here at Our Lords are committed. We have deep roots in doctrine and life in the Holy Spirit, it's not an either or, is it? It's a both and. The word of God and the spirit of God together, right? This is what the church has been about for decades here. So as a tidal wave of God's presence comes, we learn to use the surfboard of scripture and the creeds and all of that historic rootedness in a way, in a, in a way that maybe we haven't before. So one of the roots that we're in the middle of looking at here is prayer. One of these roots that we go back to and following Jesus, following the teaching of the apostles, being a New Testament church, really we're kind of going back to our roots. And one of those roots is prayer united with fasting. 
So I want us to take a few minutes here and to look at prayer and fasting and get a biblical perspective on it. So let's take a few minutes to reflect on this. The first thing I want us to look at in prayer and fasting is that we humble ourselves before God and seek his face in humility. I've I've warned you, I'm kind of old school, so I'm gonna urge you to actually bring your Bible to church. Some of you may have to dig it off the shelf and everyone's all techie and you can use your phone, but um, I want us to look at some passages and get used to digging in some of these passages together. I may on occasion do slides, but I want us to look at Daniel, the prophet Daniel, chapter 9, verse 3. Daniel 9, 3, as we look at fasting as an expression of humbling ourselves before God and seeking the face of God in humility. Daniel 9 at verse 3. Give you a little context here. Daniel, the prophet Daniel, is in a time of persecution. Some of the young people know he gets thrown into the fire. He gets thrown into the lion's den. And it's because he's standing for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob while he's in Babylon. And so in Daniel 9... In the midst of this persecution, he starts receiving revelation from the Lord. And the Lord says, I am the God of history, and let me give you some perspective here, Daniel. And so he's pretty shaken up. And in this context, he humbles himself before God. Daniel 9.3 says, Then I turned to the Lord God to seek an answer by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Really, sackcloth and ashes, as some of you know, is just kind of an outward demonstration of what's going on inwardly. It was uncomfortable clothing that the people would put on to remind them to not trust in themselves. It was oftentimes made out of coarse goat hair, and so they would put this on themselves to provoke them to pray and to realize, you know what, in our own flesh, who we are, we don't have the strength we need, so we're turning to God. And so that's what he's talking about here. And then they would oftentimes lay on ashes. They would sprinkle them out as a reminder, our lives are ashes. It's ruined without God. So we turn to God now. Another passage here, look very quickly at Joel chapter 2, a powerful chapter about humbling ourselves before God and seeking his face in humility. Joel chapter 2 at verse 12. And the context here is the prophet Joel is calling the people to prepare for coming judgment and blessing at the same time. Joel talks about the coming day of the Lord. Now, don't hear me wrong here. I'm not saying, oh, ominous judgment is coming. It's time for us to break out the goat hair, put on the the sackcloth, and wallow in the ashes. That's not what I'm saying at all, but I am saying this. The Lord is on the move in our country, and there is judgment coming, but it's his presence. And so it's, it's love, really. It's unstoppable love that brings purity and brings holiness. So like Joel here, we are returning to the Lord. Read this at uh, Joel 2, 12 through 13. In this context of the coming day of the Lord, Joel says, Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord, your God, for the Lord is gracious and merciful, 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishing. So even there we see that in the midst of a heavy word that Joel the prophet brings, it's the love of God, isn't it? It's the love of God that's coming. And so what Joel is saying, return to the Lord with fasting, with prayer. Remove the things from your life that impede the love of God, that get in the way. So it's a, even there in the Old Testament, a gracious invitation to prepare for the love of God. So in humility, we are seeking the Lord, like Daniel and Joel talk about, and we're preparing for a a time of house cleaning and blessing. Right, Mike Adele told me this a few weeks ago. He was talking about house cleaning, and it begins with us, with the house of the Lord. So it's a gracious invitation, and part of this is responding in prayer and fasting. A second thing here is that prayer and fasting are expressions of worship to God. Look in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. There's this beautiful, amazing older woman named Anna, and She is a model of this, prayer and fasting as worship to God. So look at Anna and her life. Luke chapter 2, verse 36. This amazing older woman is waiting for the coming of the promised Messiah. And look what the scriptures say about her. Luke 2, 36. Scripture actually calls her a prophet or a prophetess. So there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. They'd been married a long time. Then as a widow to the age of 84, look at this. Anna never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child, Jesus, to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So this woman, Anna, hears from the Lord, spends her time waiting in the presence of the Lord in prayer and fasting, and it's an expression of worship. It's not a heavy burden. It's a joy for her to wait in the Lord's presence. And she catches a glimpse of what the Lord is doing and sees the baby Jesus and says, there's the Messiah. Stay tuned. There's another passage. We're not going to look at this. We looked last week at Acts 13, 1 through 3, but I just want to remind us there. You can write that down and look at it later. That the early church, the leaders that were gathered together, they devoted themselves to worshiping the Lord, ministering to the Lord in prayer and fasting. And it was in that context that the Lord spoke to them. Right, So like Anna and like the elders, the leaders of the church at Antioch, we are worshiping, we're praying, we're fasting, we're waiting, we're listening to and expecting the Lord to come in power. A third thing here about prayer and fasting is that it increases spiritual power. Right, We're seeing these things. These are very straightforward things right out of the scriptures. Prayer and fasting increases spiritual power. Look at Luke chapter 4. So you're already in Luke chapter 2. Get Luke 4, 1 through 2. And I've referenced this recently as well. Jesus is preparing for his public ministry. And he was in the desert. And he was fasting. 
So look at Luke 4, 1 to 2 and see what it says here. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing at all during those days. And when they were over, he was famished. Then skip down to verse 14. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread throughout all the surrounding country. So here Jesus, the model of all models, the example that we follow, before he's engaging in a time of intense ministry, is going out and seeking the Lord in prayer and fasting. And we know from Matthew 4, he's overcoming temptation through that as well. All right, while we're in the Gospels, look at Mark 9. Mark 9, beginning at verse 22. I don't know about you, but I've got a fresh excitement to study the scriptures. When God is on the move, I can't seem to get enough of it. There are times where it's really boring, true? The scriptures aren't boring, we're bored. (laughs) But those times when God draws near, when the wave of God's presence comes, there's this appetite to read the scriptures, right? So we are doing that right now. We're kind of doing a a cursory read here through fasting and prayer in the New Testament here. Mark 9, 22 through 29. This story really knocked me out this week. I, there were things in it that were pretty challenging for me, and I shared a few weeks ago some of the doubt and unbelief and suspicion and the difficult place that I've been, a passage like this, has just been lingering with me all week and I've been praying some things from it. So what's happening here is you've basically got a demonized man and the father out of desperation is bringing that demonized young man to Jesus. And look what he says at verse 22. The father says, this demon has often cast my son into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you were able to do anything Have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. That's what I've been praying all week. Lord, help my unbelief. I believe. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, I imagine this is a sight there to see, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Jesus, why could we not cast it out? Jesus said to them, this kind can only come out through prayer. Some ancient manuscripts add, and fasting. Right, so we know from the ministry of Jesus and from the practice of the early church, that there is something about prayer and some of the ancient manuscripts from the first century actually add and fasting. 
And so there is something about when we pray and when we couple that with fasting, we're given spiritual authority and power, aren't we? Some of you have stories of this, don't you? Certain strongholds in your life, stronghold in someone else's life, you may have cast demons out of people. So this makes me uncomfortable. Anyone else? You're talking about, it's 2018, brother. You're talking about casting demons out. I am. This isn't my opinion. It's not your opinion. It's in the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. If he goes from town to town and sets oppressed people free from demons, I think I'm interested in that. Are you? So, I am uncomfortable with you because I know when the Lord moves that the demonic, the opponents of Jesus get nervous. But I, I, want the whole, I want the whole thing. So Jesus, we want you to come and to set people free. I think some of the people that are coming in this tidal wave, the ones that are addicted to crack, heroin, other drugs, sex addictions, these various things, the Lord's gonna perform some deliverance on them. And we love counseling and therapy and sozo and all of those things are absolutely necessary, but there are many tools in the Lord's tool belt and this is one of them. Driving demons out of people and the Lord's going to show us how to do that biblically in a sound way and I'm gonna be right by you going, I'm nervous. Lord, will you teach me how to do this afresh? I've done some of this in the past, but I'm a little bit rusty. It's a little heavy here, doesn't it? <laughs> We've only talked about three things, and I, I want to share probably my favorite story on prayer and fasting that I've ever heard. Because as we're thinking about spiritual authority and humbling ourselves before God and all, I love to remind myself of the story of this man that looked like Santa Claus named John Wimber. Some of you know from the 70s and 80s, John Wimber was a good evangelical guy. The Holy Spirit had invaded in his life and his church. And so he was one of those looking for what he called the radical middle, the balance between the power of the Holy Spirit and living life according to the scriptures. And so John tells this story. Says he was talking with Carol, his wife, and he said, Carol, I'm going to the mountains to pray. Carol said, okay, John. He said, I'm going for this long weekend here. I'm going to be gone three nights. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to fast. I'm going to get vision. I want the Lord to increase anointing on our church. Carol said, okay, John. So you'll be back Monday? I'll be back Monday. So he leaves with his Bible, little bag in hand, and he goes off to this remote house, apparently, in the mountains outside California. Well... He ends up calling home, checks in. Carol says, John, how's the fast going? John said, Carol, not so good. She said, John, what, what's wrong? And he said, I ended up eating a double cheeseburger at In-N-Out Burger <laughs> within two hours <laughs> with fries and a refill on my Coke. So Carol said, John, why don't you come home? Why don't you come home? Let's, let's just be together. Let's spend the weekend together. So John got in his car, humiliated, full of cheeseburger, <laughs> spirit of fasting, gone. 
and they spent the weekend together. I, I just love that because really in a time like this when God is on the move and we're fasting and we're praying and we're seeking God, human nature tends to do one of these. Man, I'm, I'm spiritual. I'm getting some authority. I'm starting to get some revelation and I feel God moving in my life. And it's just a reminder that we are clay vessels, aren't we? We're all not very impressive. And so I just want to say before you today, I'm not impressive. You're not impressive. We're saved. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. And any time we start to feel, wow, Wallace, you're pretty impressive, that's dangerous. I think the Lord is calling us to humility. And the deeper we go into God, into the things of the Holy Spirit, the more we fast, the more we pray, the more God uses us, the Lord reminds us that we're, we're really nothing. We're nothing special. We're ordinary. And I want to embrace that. You're ordinary. I am ordinary. We serve an extraordinary God, right? So we remind ourselves as we fast and pray of Brother John Wimber at the In-N-Out Burger, and we realize that we've got some of that in us. I've spoken with some of you this week, and I said, how's the fasting going? And some people have said, I was going the full seven days. I'm on day two, and I can hardly do it. So I'm going to skip maybe a meal a day. So we are all free in the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is great freedom, right? So a couple more things here about fasting and prayer. One is that prayer and fasting strengthens justice and generosity to those in need. One of the texts in the whole Bible about fasting is Isaiah 58. Let's look at this very quickly and then we'll end and Ashley can come up and tell us a story about what God is doing in her and through her. Prayer and fasting strengthen justice and generosity. This passage here is contrasting false fasting and false worship with true worship. And really the essence of it, the prophet Isaiah is saying, if you're doing things externally for show, you're doing it so other people see you, you're doing it so that you think you can please God, he said you're missing the whole point of fasting and all of these other expressions of worship. So Isaiah 58, let's look at a few of these verses here, beginning at 5, we'll read down and reflect briefly on this. So at verse 5, this is the false way. This is the Lord speaking through the prophet. Is such the fast that I choose, a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush or one of those cattail weeds to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? So they were doing all of these things as an outward expression without their heart engaged in it. And so the Lord says, is, not, is this not the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin or family in need? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will spring up quickly. Your vindicator will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. So we could comment about this, and we'll probably come back to this passage over and over again because there are things in it, but basically, 
Fasting is an opportunity not to just abstain from food, but to look out into the need of the world and say, Lord, what are you doing out there? We want to cooperate with you. We want to use the money that maybe we'd be using for food and drink and to give to other people. If you look here at verse 7, verse 6 here, some of this language basically is conveying, don't treat people like animals. Don't think that whether it's literally or figuratively you're putting yokes on people, treat other people like human beings made in the image of God. If you're not doing that, then there's not true fasting. There's not true spiritual worship. This woman who wrote a a great book on fasting, her name is Lynn Bob, and she says this, in the early church, fasting was frequently practiced as a way to free up food and money to give to the poor. And so I think the Lord's going to be teaching that, us that in the coming days. How, how do we fast? And then how do, we, how do we link that to justice ministry? How do we link that to ministering to the poor, to the needy? The Lord's going to show us that. All right, quickly here. Fifthly, prayer and fasting help us receive guidance. Stay in that same passage right there, okay? Isaiah 58. 9 and 11, and look about this. Prayer and fasting help us receive guidance from the Lord, direction. At verse 9 of Isaiah 58, it says, Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and the Lord will say, Here I am. What's it say at verse 11? The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. So what Isaiah is saying here, what the Lord is saying through Isaiah is along with prayer and fasting and giving to other people, you'll receive guidance. And this language here comes from the Exodus. The Lord is going to surround you with his presence, with his glory. He'll go before you powerfully. Finally here, the sixth thing. A little bit of my professor coming out, isn't it? Six things on biblical prayer and fasting. Bear with me. This is the last one. Prayer and fasting cultivate longing for the kingdom of God. So let's look at Matthew 6, 9 through 10. Matthew 6, 9 through 10. Prayer and fasting cultivate longing for God and the kingdom of God. Probably the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus himself, the Sermon on the Mount. And he's working through various facets of life in the kingdom of God. He's showing them how to live in the kingdom now, in the here and now, with an eye to the future. And I'm just going to look at a few of these verses here and then point out something that he links. He links prayer and fasting together. So Matthew 6, 9 Jesus tells his disciples, pray then in this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want us to pray that together, okay? At verse 9, you can look down here. Let's pray this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look down at, uh, some of you wanted to pray the rest, I'm with you. 
Matthew 6, 16. Just, so just skip down a few verses here. And I want to show you what he does, though, in this context of prayer and life in the kingdom. Jesus talks about something else. He says at verse 16, and there's a word here that is rather troubling to me. At verse 16, and whenever you fast. So I actually looked that up in the Greek, and you know what it means? Whenever you fast. I thought I might find a way out of it and think, hmm, that doesn't make me feel very comfortable. I'm supposed to drive demons out of people. Is there a way around that? It doesn't say, and if you choose to fast, it says, whenever you fast, do not look dismal. And this is a word for us here. Like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. He says it again in verse 17. You see it there? But when you fast... Put oil on your head, wash your face, so that your fasting may not seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So when we fast and pray, and we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are saying, Lord, bring your kingdom. We want the reign of God, the power of God, the authority of God coming in the here and now. We know that it will be consummated in the future, but we're asking for a demonstration, a breakthrough of it right here right now. And so as we pray and as we join that with fasting, various forms of fasting, right? Some of you are fasting maybe from chocolate or a certain app or something like that. Some of us should not fast from food for various health reasons. When we fast and pray, the kingdom of God comes and we long for more of it. So as we are praying and fasting, humility Worship, authority, compassion, direction, and longing for the demonstration of the kingdom of God is at work among us. I want to recommend a few resources, and then I'm going to have Ashley come up. Ashley, why don't you go ahead and come up here. A few resources for fasting. You interested in some reading on this? Some of you know the classic. It's Arthur Wallace. It's called God's Chosen Fast. It's a great biblical study on prayer and fasting. A second, Wayne Grudem has in his systematic theology a section on prayer and fasting that I actually used was helpful in my development of notes here. And it's only about three pages. Another I mentioned, this woman named Lynn Bob, B-A-A-B. She has a book called Fasting, Spiritual Freedom Beyond Our Appetites. And then finally, a book by John Piper called A Hunger for God, Desiring God Through Fasting and Prayer. There are all kinds of books out there. Those are just four that I would highly recommend if you want to learn more about biblical approaches to fasting. Next week, we have the pleasure of having Steve Nicholson with us from the Evanston Vineyard in Chicago. He was an instrumental and is an instrumental leader in the vineyard movement. He was my mentor 25 years ago. He's going to be with us, and he's going to preach on the kingdom of God. So I think it's going to be a great time next Sunday. You want to be here. Ashley, you're going to share a story about... (laughs) Hi. 
Um, my name is Ashley Hartman. I'm 20 years old, and um, I just recently led a team of 13 people on an outreach to the Philippines. And I have so many stories, but Brock asked me to just come and share one of my favorites with you guys today. Um, and my favorite testimony of what God did in the Philippines is from our time in our ministry in the red light district. And um, the red light district of the Philippines, actually, we were, our team was really surprised to find out in our research that the Philippines um, red light industry is run mostly by tourism. Um, the majority of the street children of the orphans in the slums where we were living in the Philippines, um, a huge majority of those children have white fathers because of this industry and because of the tourism that comes in for the red light district of the Philippines. And so we went in undercover to the, uh, to the red light district. Um, we couldn't really expose ourselves as missionaries or our contact would get like blacklisted and we wouldn't be able to go back. And so we went in with the sole purpose of just loving on these women, spending time with them, speaking identity, value into them, um, and just encouraging them, complimenting them, and just saying how um, awesome they were. Uh, so the first night that we went and did it, um, the Holy Spirit led us to a specific bar, and in that bar, he highlighted two women. And um, we, uh, pur we like purchased time with those women and um, told them right away that we wanted them to cover we would love for them to cover up, that we wanted them to be um, comfortable with us, that we wanted to have time with this, and that we weren't going to buy them any drinks with alcohol in them because we didn't want them to get drunk because we wanted to have conversation and get to know them. And they both were very confused because they've never had the customers say that to them before. And so we spent about four to five hours with them that first night um, where we just talked with them. We got to just hear their stories um, and just love on them, speak identity into them. They both opened up over the course of the evening, and they um, told us that they were both single mothers. Um, each of them had two children, and that that was the reason they were doing this job. They both told us that because of their children, that's the only reason they were in this horrible job, that they hated the job they were in, but they saw it as the only way to provide and ensure that their children would have a better life than they did. Um, and so we just got to encourage them and say that that was so amazing, that they were so courageous, that we saw that they were good moms, that they loved their children so extravagantly, that they so selflessly would want to do that for their children. Um, and they had never heard anyone say that to them before. Um, so then uh, we... At 2 a.m. that night, we told them that we were leaving, but we were going to go to the McDonald's around the corner, um, and that if they wanted to spend more time with us, we'd love to talk to them more. And they both said, of course, we'll meet you guys out there when we get done with our shift. And so they joined us, and they were in totally normal clothes, and um, they joined us at McDonald's, and they, we just asked them why they had spent the whole night with us, because in staying with us for the whole evening, they um, had missed out on other customers that would have paid them a lot more. Um, and so we just asked them, why did they stay with us? And they both told us that um, from the moment we had entered the bar and all through the time that they spent with us, they noticed that we had a joy and a peace that they had never seen any of their customers have before. And they said they were so curious about it that they stayed with us for the whole night that, and they had come to McDonald's and they were planning on asking us what the source of our joy and our peace was because they had to have it. So that was the perfect lead-in for us to share the gospel with them. We told them that um, the reason we had gone to the red light district that night was to tell, was because God told us to tell his daughters in the red light district that he sees them and knows them and longs for relationship with them. And when we asked them if they wanted to have relationship with God that night, they both kind of looked at us and laughed, and they just said, 
Are you crazy? Of course we want that. Of course we want that. How do we get it? Tell us right now. We told them, um, we led them in uh, inviting Jesus into their hearts, inviting the Holy Spirit to come and fill them. And um, both of them started weeping under the presence of God. When we asked the Holy Spirit to come and fill them, they both started shaking, violently shaking and weeping under the presence and love encounter of God. Um, And so we got to tell them how to study the Bible, how to pray, how to talk to God. And um, then we left that night. And three weeks later, we got to go back to that same bar. And we were instantly bombarded at the door by these two women um, who ran up to us. And we almost didn't recognize them because of these giant smiles and the lightness of, like, just their personalities. Um, They came up, and they were dying to tell us. And they um, exploded on us, telling us how they over the last few weeks, they had been hearing God's voice. They had been, they, one of them had stolen her neighbor's Bible because they didn't read it very much so that she could read it for herself um, to find out about God. One of the, they had been going to church and they had felt peace and joy. And they both told us that um, when we prayed for them, for the Holy Spirit to fill them, they had felt a darkness and a heaviness inside of them physically leave. And they were so excited to tell us, it hasn't come back. It hasn't come back. Um, They then told us that they had told every single person at their work, all of their friends and everyone, about us and about what had happened, the freedom that they had found when we prayed for them. So we were totally exposed as missionaries, but we were given the upstairs room. And every single Wednesday night for the rest of our time in the Philippines, we got to go to this upstairs room, um, and we basically started a church service in the upper room of a strip club in the middle of the Philippines Red Light District. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. So every, every night, the girls would bring up a new group of women that they wanted to, um, that wanted to hear our story, uh, the story of Jesus, that wanted um, prayer, that wanted to get set free themselves. And so half of our team would go and minister and share the gospel with the new group, and then half of our team would get to go, continue to disciple and mentor and lead these um, other women that were growing in their faith week by week. And we got to teach them how to not only study the Bible, but we taught them how to start and lead out Bible studies in the dressing rooms. And um, as far as I know, the Bible studies are still going on today in that dressing room. Um, we taught them how to share the gospel with their friends and family. Um, and we, sh- we taught them how to hear God's voice and talk and have a relationship with God. Um, and... Uh, Two of my favorite things that came out of this was one night while we were talking to some of the women, one lady approached me and she said, Ashley, I think I had a crazy idea. Tell me, tell me if this sounds like a good idea to you. And I was like, okay, tell me. Um, she had felt the Holy Spirit tell her that it might be a good idea for her to go and sneak into the dressing rooms of all the other bars around their club um, and tell those women about Jesus too so they could have Bible studies in their dressing room as well. Um, she was going out and she wanted to learn a little extra more about um, evangelizing so that she could go and tell the entire red light district about uh, Jesus. And then our last and final night, um, getting to go and see the women um, our, a few of our favorite women told us they had a surprise for us that they wanted to show us. And they pulled out from behind their backs a stack of papers. And um, these women, uh, in their quiet times that week, had heard the Holy Spirit tell them that they were supposed to quit their jobs and they were supposed to find better jobs where they would feel their true value. And they had applied, their stack of papers was a, um, was a stack of job applications.
just want us to uh, just sit quietly for a moment. Come, Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence here. Spirit of Jesus, this is your church. We're your people. We follow you. Brothers and sisters, that's called the spirit of prayer. Romans 8, the spirit of God prays through us, sometimes with groaning. So we say more, Lord. We're your body. Pray through us. We're your people. Lord, I ask right now, you're speaking to all of us about different ways that we could bring the love of God, the love of Jesus to people who need to hear, to prostitutes, drug addicts, lost people at work, family members. And I just ask you to do what only you can do right now. Speak to us. Put faces before us. Show us who you want us to reach. Show us who you're reaching. We're on holy ground. When we talk about Jesus ministering to people, that's holy ground. Don't need a whole lot of words. Jesus is speaking to us, speaking through Ashley's story. And you know what? It doesn't stop. We go home tomorrow and the rest of the week, and the Lord continues to speak. So what I'm going to ask is, Ashley, if you don't mind being over here, and if you are sensing that the Lord is calling you specifically to prostitutes or addicts, these people. I want to ask you to come over here, and we're going to need the ministry team to go ahead and come up. So ministry team and then some. Go ahead and come up and line up up here. But we're going to need some people to join Ashley. And, and I'm going to invite you over here on my left, your right, if you feel called And I've already mentioned we're all missionaries. Maybe you feel called to go somewhere else, another, a, another country. These kind of, I just feel like the Lord's going to touch people called in specific ways. Why don't you go ahead and come up here and let Ashley pray for you. I just, I, I'm expectant. I'm hopeful that the Lord is going to guide us, speak to us. 
and I'm preparing you right now, we're going to have moments where we don't fill it with, with words. We sit and wait on what the Holy Spirit's doing. Is that all right with you? The Lord's a better leader than any of us are. We should be good followers. So I just, I fully trust the, Jesus says when we ask for the Holy Spirit, we get the Holy Spirit. The Lord doesn't trick us. So we are saying, come Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, we trust you. We trust your leadership and we are going to go for it. We want the kingdom of God. We want the gospel of the kingdom. So why don't we stand? We can close here. Again, if you want prayer for any reason, maybe you're sick in your body, something's going on, you can come up and receive prayer from the prayer team. And again, I've said over here, Ashley's ready to pray. Also, we have side communion over here. Todd and John are serving side communion. So Lord, we welcome you. We thank you for what you're doing in us. We thank you for the main and the plain. We thank you for the great commandment and the great commission. We thank you for simplicity of the gospel. And we ask you to go with us this week as we're the church in the world. So go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Have a wonderful week.